Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 33 through 37. As you're finding that, let me, let, let me say this. In Matthew 5, verses 1 through 10, Jesus, uh, in, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, actually verses 1 through 20, uh, has shown his followers that they are to be different. That's the Beatitudes. And that they are called to be influential. That's being salt and light in the world and to make a difference. And then how it's based upon the foundation of his word. Now in Matthew 5, 21 through 48, Jesus is setting the record straight about what God's word actually said and what it actually meant. Basically rescuing it from the self-centered scribes and Pharisees who made it say what they wanted it to say. And he has addressed murder and anger and reconciliation and marriage and divorce and now the subject of telling the truth. So let's read Matthew 5, beginning at verse 33. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be, yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. And Lord, as we look in your word today, we pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts, open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in your word. Lord, as you speak, uh, let us listen and, and act accordingly, Lord, in your strength. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're talking today about telling the truth. In the movie Liar, Liar, Jim Carrey's character had a habit of telling lies all the time. He lied to everyone. He lied to his boss. He lied to his co-workers. He lied to his family, especially his son. It broke his son's heart One day while uh, he was asked in school what your father did, he said, my dad's a liar. He dresses up every day in a suit and goes to court and lies. He was a lawyer, but he was also a liar. I'm not saying that they always go together. But his son expressed the sentiment that he wished his father would, would not be able to tell a lie. Next day, his dad wakes up and he finds he cannot lie. As much as he wants to, he can't do it. Couldn't help himself, he had to tell the truth. If only it were that easy for us. We have the opposite problem. We often want to tell the truth, but we get so used to exaggerating or flat out lying that it becomes a way of life for us. It's an accepted practice in much of business and government and science and religion and even family life. Half-truths and untruths. We make promises we have no intention of keeping. Boundaries between truth and lies are blurred. But God's word says otherwise. Psalm 51 verse 6. God desires truth in the innermost being. 1 Kings 2 4. Walk before me in truth, God says. Proverbs 6 and verse 16. God hates lying lips. Can't be more clear than that. Proverbs 12, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 163 says that all who are faithful to God hate lying too. 
Psalm 58, 3, he who speaks lies goes astray from birth. You see Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he wept over Israel because lies, not truth, had become the norm. Every man was lying to his neighbor, not speaking truth. We're instructing Colossians 3 and verse 9 to not lie to one another because we are members of one another, as Ephesians 4 tells us, laying aside falsehood, speaking truth, each one to his neighbor, because we're part of the same body. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 21 says that no lie is of the truth. No lie is of the truth. Revelation 21 tells us that all habitual liars will find their place in the lake of fire. God is against those who delight in falsehood. Now, Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37, is about telling the truth. It's about keeping your word. Something that is very difficult for us. And it hits a little too close to home. A little too close for comfort. These five verses, Jesus reveals what the Old Testament taught. He alludes to how the truth was twisted. And then he clearly shows what he intended to do to set the record straight, to straighten things out. In verse 33, we see what the Old Testament taught. Jesus says, again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. The Old Testament taught oath use. They were permitted. An oath or a vow was a promise made using God's name or something else as guarantee that what was being said was true or what was being promised would be fulfilled. Oaths were permitted. They were designed to encourage truthfulness, to discourage lies. Now, verse 33 does not contain a direct quote uh, of the Old Testament. Uh, it's, it's a summary of Old Testament teaching, a compilation. The Old Testament gave three primary instructions related to our words. First of all, it prohibited using God's name carelessly. They were to be careful in the proper use of God's name. They were to use God's name rightly. You see this in the third command, Exodus 20 and verse 7, and then restated in Deuteronomy 5 and verse 11. It says this, You know it. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And then it goes on to say, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. We were all taught when we were kids that that meant don't cuss. Don't use profanity. Don't use foul language. That's not what it means. Now, there's other verses in the Bible that teach that. So we don't have license for that. But, uh, but the third command has nothing to do with profanity. It refers to the person who says something is true when it is not. It refers to the person who makes a promise in God's name and does not do it. There was something else the Old Testament taught. It taught the importance of keeping your word. You say you're going to do something, do it. Numbers chapter 30 in uh, verse 2 says, When a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. And then uh, look in Deuteronomy 23. Deuteronomy 23, beginning at verse 21 all the way to verse 23. Speaking of when you make a vow to the Lord, 
It says, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For it would be sin in you, and the Lord your God would, would surely require it of you. However, if you refrain from vowing, it would not be sin in you. You shall be careful to perform what goes out from your lips, just as you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised. It's pretty clear what we are to do. Once God's name is used, invoked, it becomes a debt that needs to be paid to God. There was something else the Old Testament taught. It taught the seriousness of making false vows, false promises, false, false claims. They were to be active in avoiding deceptive speech. Promising something you have no intention of keeping. Leviticus 19 and verse 12 says, You shall not swear falsely by my name so as to profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. God is saying, I am holy, my name is holy, and deception dishonors me. See, what the Old Testament was pointing to was basically the fundamental uh, truth, the importance of complete and utter and consistent truthfulness. A promise not kept becomes a lie. A public oath not kept is perjury. Now, the only reason oaths are needed There's only one reason why oaths are needed. It's because people are liars. That's why oaths are needed. Therefore, the law of Moses prohibits the frivolous use of God's name and irreverent oaths and broken vows, false vows. The very reason it had to be stated was because of man's propensity to lie. But oaths designed to encourage truthfulness and discourage untruth they, were, they basically were roadblocks to hinder the progress of sin. But they were turned into opportunities for deception. Inevitably, the truth was twisted. You know, it's a, it's an, it's a sad truth that sin unchecked will always find a way around whatever barrier is erected to hinder its progress. Sin will encroach if not dealt with decisively. Now, in Jesus' day, the truth was obscured through oath abuse. Oath use was encouraged, but oath abuse had become the norm. The Pharisees enabled this by constructing an elaborate maze of rules and regulations surrounding how you made promises. Verse 33 actually alludes to the practice of allowing oaths for almost anything rather than reserving them for the most serious circumstances it also alludes to their emphasis on limiting honest oaths to only the ones that named God you you shall not make false vows but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord now uh, two errors were present in that day the first error was what you could call truth reinforcement truth reinforcement it, it's like the childhood practice of 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 crossing your heart. You probably have done it before when you were a kid. Um, and kids, I don't think you should do this. Uh, the parents all did this. The grandparents all did this. They, they shouldn't have, but we didn't know what we were doing. Uh, we would say this. We would say, cross my heart and hope to die. And then there was another part of that that we won't say right now. Too graphic. But what it meant was, you weren't just saying it. You really meant it. So sure that you would keep your promise that you were willing to die 
or so you said. This is an unnecessary oath-taking, swearing an oath when one was not needed or called for. That became the norm, pretty much like the idea of crossing your heart. Um, People often began sentences with things like this. By the life of my father, poor dad, um, or, or by my own head, or, or may I never see the consolation of Israel if I don't do what, I'm, what I say I'm going to do. Jephthah is a good example of an irresponsible use of vows. You could find that in Judges 11. We won't look at that now. Saul, also in the Old Testament, a foolish oath in 1 Samuel 14. But there was this, there was this practice that, that came in, into, into vogue that it was okay to just make a promise for anything and on anything. So there was this idea of truth reinforcement that, we had to, that, that, that they felt they had to add weight to their words. And the reason why is because they weren't trusted. Now there was another issue that existed that, that actually had evil intent. You know, you can do the crossing your heart thing, and that, uh, that can be very innocently but ignorantly done. But the second issue that existed really had evil intent. What you could call it is truth evasion, the evasion of truth. And that's kind of like the old childhood game of crossing your fingers behind your back. And, you know, and again, kids, <laughs> do as we say, not as we did. But you cross your finger behind your back, and as long as you were making a promise and you had that going on, you didn't have to do it. Or so we thought. Well, my finger's crossed. Now, evading the truth uh, by the way you say something is purposely deceiving someone. Now, they took evasion in Jesus' day to a fine art. They had this sophisticated system of figuring out how binding an oath was dependent upon how closely related it was to God's name. All right? Uh, Jews divided oaths into two categories, absolutely binding and not absolutely binding. If you made a promise using God's name, it was absolutely binding. Slip of the tongue, you had to keep it. Now, if you didn't use God's name, it wasn't binding. The idea was that if God's name was used, God was part of the transaction in their minds. But if God's name wasn't used, he wasn't a part of the transaction. Now we can see right through that, can't we? Um, Basically, if someone swore by God's name, he had to keep the promise no matter what. But if you didn't have to, if you happened, by the way, to swear by heaven, or by earth, or by Jerusalem, or even by your own head, you didn't really have to keep that. You didn't have to keep your word in that regard. There's some good examples, and go with me to Matthew chapter 23. Jesus points it out in greater detail. The the sin of the people in contrast to his reign and his righteousness and his kingdom. When he's describing these woes upon the scribes and the Pharisees, if you go to Matthew 23 verse 16, he calls them blind guides, and he says this, Whoever you say, whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, ooh, that's obligated. What's all that about? He says, you fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold of the temple or, that, or the temple sacrifice, sanctified by gold? 
And, and you say this, whoever swears by the altar, that's nothing, but whoever swears by the offering on it, mm, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar, swears both by the altar and everything in, on it. Whoever swears by the temple, swears by the temple and by him who dwells within it, God himself. And whoever swears by heaven, swears by both the throne of God and by him who sits on it. What Jesus is doing is contrasting his kingdom, his reign, his righteousness with the sins of the people that had twisted and rationalized things to the point where they blurred the lines between truth and falsehood. It's amazing how sin works to deceive to the point where you think you're doing right when you're doing wrong. See, either our simple word is not trusted, so we try to induce people to believe us by making a solemn promise or we become skilled at manipulation, manipulating the words to say something that is less than accurate. And we do that to protect what we would consider our good name. We do that to protect our interests. We do that to protect our reputation. You know, so much of lying has to do with fear of people really uh, knowing you and then rejecting you because they find something out about you that, they don't want, they don't want, that you don't want them to know. And it all, it all has to do with image management, how we want people to perceive us. So we bend the truth, we, we twist the truth, we, we subtle, use subtle nuances with the truth and their lies, deception. Now, verses 34 to 37, they show what Jesus did to straighten things out. Jesus solves the problem very simply. By saying, if what was designed to curb lies actually was used to enable lies, if what was meant for good was used for evil, then don't make oaths. See, what he did is he advocated oath elimination through integrity. Oath elimination through integrity. Making oaths unnecessary because of complete truthfulness. Jesus' teaching is utterly unique. With divorce, he called for a recognition that, that God has a part in marriage and that man has no right to tear apart what God has put together. And now with our words, he points to the fundamental importance of complete and consistent truthfulness. Interestingly, we, we, we make a lot about how Jesus was, was um, speaking against the scribes and the Pharisees and other the zealots and the Essenes. Interestingly, the Essenes actually got it right on this point. They would not take oaths. The Essene community would not take oaths. They, can, they regarded oaths as worse than perjury. And here's why. They said that the one who could not believe without an oath was already um, uh, basically convicted or condemned as a liar. That they were showing that they were already a liar. Verse 34, Jesus says, I say to you, make no oath at all. By heaven, why? Because it's the throne of God. By earth, why? Because it's the footstool of God's feet. Why, uh, not by Jerusalem, it's the city of God. And not even by your head, as verse 36 says, not even by your head, you can't even make one hair white or black. Don't you wish that was different? And we can color it artificially. We can't, we can't determine whether one will be white or one will be black. 
Jesus makes the point that whatever a person swears by or promises by or makes an oath by is related to God in some way anyway. So heaven, earth, Jerusalem, even the hairs of your head, you can pick out all the gray hairs like I'm doing you know, in my life right now. You can do that, but you can't determine what color they're going to be. But see, all those things, heaven and earth and, and even your hair, they're all under God's control and God's ownership. See, Jesus is saying God is a part of every situation. You can't pick and choose which ones you let him into. You can't keep God out by drawing the lines differently. God is everywhere. He sees and hears everything. I like the way William Barclay put it. Here's what he said. Life cannot be divided into compartments, in some of which God is involved, and in others of which he is not involved. There cannot be one kind of language in the church and another kind of language in the shipyard or factory or the office. There cannot be one kind of standard of conduct in the church and another kind of standard of, in the business world. The fact is that God does not need to be invited into certain departments of life and kept out of others. He is everywhere, all through life and every activity of life. He hears not only the words which are spoken in his name, he hears all words. And there cannot be any such thing as a form of words which evades bringing God into the transaction. And then he goes on to say, we will regard all promises then as sacred if we remember that all promises are made in the presence of God. Jesus' point is that God is, is Lord of everything, so we can't compartmentalize life or God. And Jesus forbids the swearing of oaths because mankind lacks the authority over the area used as the basis of the oath. Heaven, earth, Jerusalem, even your own body. You can't control the laws of God's design. You can't control the realm of God's operation. So Jesus gives a solution. He gives a solution in verse 37. He says, but let your statement be, yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil, or literally, from the evil one. So Jesus says the solution is let your word be yes or no. What he's doing here is introducing a bold, fresh standard of truthfulness. Now, the inevitable question arises, does this mean that a Christian can never say anything but yes or no to emphasize their truthfulness? It's a good question. Jesus says, don't make oaths and let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no, and if you go beyond that, it's of evil. So what does this mean? Now, many have taken these verses, by the way, in, into an unbiblical extreme. They refuse to even take court oaths. Quakers, Anabaptists, uh, even the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, here's the thing. In the New Testament, there are things that Jesus said that indicate that not all oaths are forbidden. That not all oaths are forbidden. For example, Jesus uses the word uh, truly over 50 times in the Gospels. And the stronger statement, truly, truly, uh, over 25 times. D.A. Carson says that Jesus uses 
this before something he says. And by the way, we looked uh, several weeks ago, we saw that that word truly means amen. He uses amen before his statement, not afterwards. But he does so to, to confirm and emphasize the trustworthiness and importance of what he is saying. Now, Jesus is the only person whose integrity didn't need reinforcement to prove his truthfulness. And yet, he reinforces his words. Why? Because there was a different reason. He wasn't reinforcing them to manage his own image. He wasn't reinforcing them to protect himself. He wasn't reinforcing them, obviously, to deceive anyone. What Jesus was doing, those words came from Jesus from love. That the hearers might recognize the truthfulness and the trustworthiness of what he said so that they might know how reliable he is. They might believe. God himself confirmed his word with an oath at times. Why? To help us believe him. Early Christians also took oaths. So here's, here's what I would, I would land, uh, where I would land is that it would seem best that when Jesus, here's the thing, Jesus' instructions aim at absolute integrity and truthfulness. We know that. But they do not stipulate the exact wording you need to use to express that truthfulness. See, Jesus' prohibition of oaths related to making uh, false oaths. It was related to the abuse of oaths. Now, where oaths are not used to evade the truth, Where truth is not in jeopardy, oaths can be taken, such as in court. Calling on God to witness the covenant or commitment of one person to another is not forbidden. Uh, Perfect example, wedding vows. The basic idea of, of Matthew 5, 33 to 37 is, mean what you say and say what you mean. Jesus wants his followers to have a different goal, not that of evading truth. Not concealing, but revealing truth. Not crossing your fingers behind your back, but opening up your heart to God. Yes should mean yes, no should mean no. Look with me at James chapter 5. Jesus' brother James echoed this same idea in James chapter 5. Verses 12 and 13. I've mentioned this before, but James, the book of James, reads very much like the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this, But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes, and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. See, the need for a vow is evil because it points to the fact you can't be trusted unless you give your word, unless you're held to it. It implies that something more than one's word is needed. Now, Jesus' point is that oaths should not replace integrity or become a, a means of manipulation by how they are made. Integrity should make oath-taking unnecessary. But we must acknowledge that we live in a fallen, sinful world where they still are necessary at times. 
they may be, they, there may be times when we are called upon to attest to our truthfulness to those who may not know us. If we have to do it with those who know us, we are in trouble. But there may be times that we need to attest to our truthfulness to those who do not know us. And that would be out of love, not out of truth evasion or some kind of image management uh, sin uh, issue. Now, why ought we to tell the truth? It's a very simple thing. We, we, we say to our kids all the time, right? Tell the truth. It's better to tell the truth. It gets worse if you lie, right? Why should we tell the truth? There's some very r- real and good reasons why we ought to be truthful. First of all, telling the truth reflects God's character. Truth reflects God's nature. He is truth. Hebrews 6.18 says that it is impossible for God to lie. Lies, on the other hand, reflect Satan's nature. He is, as John 8.44 says, the father of lies. Truth honors and acknowledges God's purity, God's sovereignty, that he is truth, that his word is truth. And that he is everywhere. He, he, he hears every word. He, God doesn't just show up. Sometimes we say that. Ooh, God showed up. God doesn't show up. He is always present. He is omnipresent. He always sees. He always hears. Do you know that a lie actually mocks God? Our lies mock God. They negate grace. They diminish us. They obscure God's glory. You see it in Romans chapter 1. That downward spiral that, that is recounted. In Romans 1 and verse 25, 22, excuse me. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of the corruptible man and the birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. There's this exchange that goes on when we lie. We exchange God's glory for a a false substitute. Truth is like a bright sunny day. We haven't had a lot of those recently. We have cloud cover here in Southern California. Truth is like a bright shiny day. Nothing hidden. Lies, they are like cloud cover. They block the light. You see it in 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, speaking of either walking in the light as God is in the light or walking in darkness. 1 John 1 and verse 5, this is the message we heard from him and announced to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, say, but then walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, walking in truth, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Telling the truth reflects God's character. Truth chases lies far away. There's a second reason why we should tell the truth. The second reason is it builds integrity. Truth telling builds integrity. You're either building a solid or a shaky reputation in your life. 
Let your word be your bond. Be such a person of your word that no additives are needed for people to believe what you say. If you say you'll do it, let it be such that your track record shows and speaks for itself that when you say you'll do it, people say, okay, done. Liars, like the boy who cried wolf over and over again, are known. Reputation is built. Sadly, sometimes reputation is also inherited. Sometimes you have to live down someone else's reputation. Like that song we sang about passing, passing the truth on. Sometimes we pass on our lies. Many have broken their word too many times. Built a reputation in their own home or their workplace of a person who's not trustworthy. Jesus' followers are to be such people of their word that their integrity is to be so stellar that no further guarantee is needed. See, Jesus says the person who is truly righteous due to faith in him needs no oath to verify their integrity. So be a person of your word. You are dealing with people, by the way, at a crossroads in their life every day. You don't even know. The people you run across every day are at a crossroads in their life. And if they see dishonesty in you who claim to believe, they may have an opportunity then to reject God. They may be turned away because of that that false example that's being shown. Truth builds integrity. Last reason we should tell the truth. Quite simply because it pleases God. It pleases God when we tell the truth. We want to please God. Now at times, telling the truth is going to get you in trouble with people. But it always pleases God. Always pleases God. By the way, in Scripture, God never condones lying. Yes, people lied in Scripture and sometimes to save their own lives. But God never condones it, never instructs it. Never tells someone to to deceive another. So what pleases God is truth. What do you do when you're asked to report how much you, you bought or sold a car for? What do you do when, when your taxes are due? What do you do when someone asks you, how does this dress look? <laughs> what do you say when a family member or an associate asks you a question and wants an honest answer? What do you say? By the way, it's not so much the way you say something. What it is about is about an inward change that God brings about in our lives due to faith in Christ that brings such an adoration of God, such a love for God that our, at, our outward actions please Him. That they reflect His glory. That it's about loving Jesus so much that we know that lies dishonor Him and we don't want to go there. See, Jesus wants his followers not only to have a different goal, but a new perspective, a different way of looking at life. He doesn't just give the negative here uh, where he says, just don't make oaths. He also gives the positive. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. See, what Jesus does, he frees us from the need to lie. He frees us from the need to lie, but he also does something else. He frees us from the need to prove that we don't lie. That's huge. Jesus intends for us to live in such a way that that we speak truth so God's glory will be revealed, that, that God's glory would be known. See, lies turn the world upside down. 
destroys us and all they touch. But one day, the world's going to be turned right side up again. And lies and their destructive effects will be gone. Someday. Someday in heaven, Christ's followers will experience total freedom from falsehood. Even where protections against being thought a liar will be unnecessary. Because of that, we ought to be looking for ways to show the lordship of Jesus Christ over our hearts and our minds and our mouths. Do not tell the truth so that you will be known as a truthful person. Tell the truth so that Jesus will be acknowledged as the truth. It's a different perspective. Don't make a name for yourself. Point others to God's good name. God's glory matters more than your reputation. Jesus wants you to draw near to him so that his truth permeates. So that his glorious truth reigns in your hearts and your words. You see, we become expert at twisting truth. We become expert at distorting the truth. But rather than crossing our fingers to evade truth or crossing our hearts to reinforce truth because we're not trusted, we're to look to him who is truth itself. God always keeps his word. Praise God. God always keeps his word. We're coming to the table this morning, to the Lord's table. It stands for what Jesus did for us. And God always keeps his word. You see, at the cross, Jesus kept his word. Before he went to the cross, he said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man also must be lifted up. And then he says, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men to myself. He died so that we might be delivered from the tyranny of lies to walk in the freedom of his truth. Praise God. 